0: I do want to thank uh, Troy and you as a church for allowing me this uh, unique opportunity. Sharon and I actually have been worshiping with you on occasion for several years. I actually remember worshiping with you, Troy, when you're still at the theater. It was a unique day when we were there because you as a church allowed Jonathan to baptize his younger brother, Joseph, our, our baby boy, Joseph is now the worship leader at Covenant Church on the south side of town. So we love you so much. Uh, We love Jonathan and Beth. We're so so thankful for uh, the way you have poured your lives into our children and our grandchildren. And uh, I thank you for the influence on their young lives. We're very thankful for Safe Haven Church. Probably, other than meeting a couple of you, uh, nobody in this church, other than my family on the front row, <clears throat> know us or know anything about my church with the exception of uh, Melanie Moore. I saw you a while ago. Melanie, where are you? Melanie. <laughs> Listen. Listen, and I will call her Melanie be <clears throat> We have known her extended family honestly for 40 years. Her father, David, is one of our godly, godly deacons. Everybody loves David. Her mother, Patsy, is so talented. Sharon and I helped with the wedding in December and I was almost late for my cue coming in the side door with the groom because I was just enjoying the music. Patsy was playing. Sherry was singing Greatest Thy Faithfulness. And then one of her daddy's brothers is like a hometown hero. He's a little younger than me, but you can find his name and his picture in the Bear of Bright Museum because he was on the offensive line, a couple of those national championship teams. We love those Lazenbees. And Melanie's granddaddy, who is dead now, Carl Lazenby. He was like the guy in those commercials when he spoke, everybody listened. everybody, everybody. If you wanted something to go well in church, you would get Mr. Lazenby to come speak for it because (laughs) you knew it was going to be a good thing. You've had this title for this series this month, and, and I really am thankful to be here. I've titled my moment today, Maintaining Your Marriage with God's Grace. I don't know how close Uh, you are to your pastor he's a very detailed person after he asked me to be a part of this moment I said yes well then he began sending me the details the scripture and what he wanted me to say and how he wanted me to say it and when he wanted me to say it he's a very detailed person so I will say this if it's a good day it's because of all the things that your pastor told me to say and do if it's not a good day You can just assume I forgot the memo and lost it somewhere along the way. But I am going to read this long passage of scripture from Ephesians. Would you stand with me as I read from God's word? Starting in verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Father, bless this reading and bless this time. May your people be encouraged today in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of simple points. The first one is for the ladies, submission with grace. Uh, Verse 21 is where this passage started today. That's actually a pivotal verse Going from Paul's general instruction to the church to a more pointed instruction to the family. And after that instruction to the church as a whole, there really is no reason, no hesitation why we should uh, be concerned about this word to the wives. Wives, in verse 22, be submissive to your husband. Paul has already spoken to the church about being submissive to Christ. Submission in the home is simply another step on that road that begins in our relationship with Christ. I'm having a birthday in April. Sometimes I forget to change glasses. Give me just one second. Ha! (laughs) Yes. I understand those words about submission can be offensive in our politically correct society. They're still there. The International New American Standard translates the phrase as, be subject. The Living Bible paraphrase puts it in a kinder and more gentle expression in 1 Peter where it says, wives, fit in with your husband's plans. Now, ladies, that may be easier to swallow, but regardless of how your text reads, the idea is the same. Wives come under the lordship of Christ and under the leadership of their husband. Now, please don't be like the lady who gave me such a hard time years ago following a wedding that I had helped with. That young man and young lady were both godly people. We had spent several hours together planning their wedding. In fact, in essence, they helped me write the ceremony. We used some of this very same serious language in the book of Ephesians during that day. And I had hardly made it out of the sanctuary when this lady stopped me. I can still see her rolling her eyes at me. She said something to the effect, I don't know why all you men keep pushing that submission thing. She wasn't kidding. She had quickly, though, when she said all you men, she put me in an incredible fraternity, Troy, of men and women who speak the truth. That's what she was labeling me for that moment. I let her have her say. She rambled on for several minutes and, While back then I was much younger and I was not completely confident in everything I was saying or doing, I was a bit more arrogant back then. And I reminded her that I didn't make up anything that I had said. It had all been taken from the scripture. And the bride who helped me write it was in total agreement with everything that had been said. I told her if she had any problems with what had been said, she could take it up with the bride or she could take it up with the writer of the book of Ephesians. She was still giving it to me as I turned and left and went to the reception. You see, she didn't understand about submission. She surely did not understand about the grace that goes into a person's life who can help them through those moments when we don't understand, where we don't even know where we're supposed to be going. Grace. That incredible moment of God's goodness that can see us even through those moments. When we don't understand fully what is to be done, what is to be said, what it is to be experienced. I love the verse in Hebrews that says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And we could easily understand that God's grace is such a huge part of faith and obedience. Sometimes it's difficult to do those things in our own power. We should be able to move away quickly from any misunderstanding of this phrase about submission when we see the explanation that Paul gives. Verse 23, he explains, because because the husband is the head of the house, just as Christ is the head of the church. There's a beautiful picture and comparison of Christ and the church with marriage and family here. It goes on to say in verse 23, Christ is the savior of the body. Perhaps there is some veiled picture here as the husband being the protector of his family. I may be reading too much into that. And if I am, you forgive me today. But there's more. Regardless of how you see this in John chapter 14, verse 15, Christ himself is speaking and says, if you love me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not just the ones that are easy, not just the things about what we do here on Sunday, not just the commandments that we enjoy, all of his commandments. And again, faith and obedience are more easily experienced with grace. And this entire process of marriage and family can be so much easier to understand and easier to process with God's grace. In all reality, and you know this, some are simply born with a disposition that makes for a quiet And gentle spirit, always quick to obey, always ready to submit, always willing to subject yourself to others. However, some, if not most, are going to get to those moments in life where they cannot without God's grace providing that necessary tool to help them do the right thing. Guys, if you've dozed off to sleep or just enjoying this and said, yes, 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 just relax. We will get to you in a moment. And ladies, I I will apologize a little bit for starting right here. But again, back to your pastor, this is where he told me to start, okay? (laughs) But in and through this moment about submission, I hope you can see how grace can be a conduit of building trust or perhaps even rebuilding broken trust. In a counseling moment years ago, I remember telling a lady that broken trust was an incredible thing to try to rebuild. It was very quiet in the room because her trust in her husband had been broken. She wasn't sure that it could ever be repaired. I did tell her that with God, all things are possible. I reminded her of the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 where... God is actually responding to Paul. He had had some issues and concerns in his own life. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, that is God's power, is made perfect in weakness. Any good marriage, any good family, any good relationship has to be thoroughly saturated with trust. And that trust is made possible in and through God's grace. And I would just have to stop with a side note. Uh, there may be ladies here who would say, Glenn, you have no idea what I live with, what I'm going through. And I would have to say, you're exactly right. I don't. God knows. Do you think God woke up this morning and said, oh my goodness, that slipped my mind. That family down in the North is having issues. I had forgotten all about that. God hasn't forgotten you. And I would tell you, ladies or men, You don't have to go through those issues alone. See your pastor or talk to one of your elders. They can help you walk through the most difficult of life's experiences. And, men, I would remind you, demanding is not to be confused with the expectation of submission. So, men, we get to you loving with grace. This is verses 25 and 28. It's on your screen, but I would just remind you that it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. In fact, this command to the men is a continuation of that whole thought about submission earlier. I tell young people when they're preparing for marriage that I believe with all my heart. I don't just say that. I really believe with all my heart that domestic violence could be eradicated In one generation. If men could simply obey that simple three-word command. Love your wife. Love your wife. Why is that so hard to see, men? Men, are we so busy making money? Are we so busy making a living? So busy living out our childhood dreams of having the biggest and best toys in the neighborhood? Are we so busy that we have forgotten what it is to love our wives? And men... In this moment, in the scripture here, it has nothing to do with romance or sexual intimacy. This love is a love that is compared to the love that Christ has for the church. In fact, the text says, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ died for the church. Men, our love for our wives should always be looking out. For her best interest. In reality, being ready to die is surely an equally great a command as the command given to our wives to be submissive. Loving our wives would not be limited to, but certainly would include speaking the truth, listening to the truth, allowing flexibility and family scheduling. If there are children in your family, bless your hearts. You may need a transportation secretary. It would involve loving our wives, speaking to them in kind and gentle words rather than demanding terms. Christ loved the church in such a way that we are to be presented to him as holy and blameless. Okay? Christ loved the church in such a way that we are to be presented to him as holy and blameless. What a great thought! Men to think that we can live before our wives and love them in such a way that they too can be pure and holy and blameless like the church. So a moment for the ladies, a moment for the men, and a moment for us together. Two is one living in grace. Verse 31 says, for this cause a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. I'm so glad Paul refers to this as a great mystery. Other than this thought about marriage, I don't know that we see this idea anywhere else. Two becoming one. It doesn't make sense. It goes against all common sense. And you have already heard an incredible sermon on this verse. Uh, Dolan, two weeks ago today, spoke from the second chapter of Genesis. This is a quote from that moment in Genesis Uh, Two weeks ago, tomorrow, that would be the day after the 13th. Sherry and I were on the road coming this way. It seems that we don't go anywhere except north toward Tuscaloosa County, but we were on our way this way on Monday, that day after Dolan spoke. We were in two cars. We had promised to let Joseph borrow a car. He had a car in the shop, and so I was in front, Sherry's behind, and uh, she noticed I was on the phone. She knows I hate to talk on the phone. Listen, a long conversation with my son Jonathan is, hey, how you doing? How are the girls? How Beth? Jeremiah okay? Okay, man. I'll see you next week. <laughs> I just I think that's what texting was invented for. So you don't have to talk on the telephone. But she saw me talking on the phone and she just couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. Well that went on five or ten minutes. She began praying for me then because she knew something must be wrong. After 15 or 20 minutes, she had prayed for everybody in our family, our children, their wives, our grandchildren. And after 30 or 40 minutes, she just couldn't stand it anymore. She called me. She said, Bubba, who are you talking to? And I said, I'm not talking to anybody. She said, I have been watching you. You have had that phone up to your ear for 30 minutes. And I said, oh, I was listening to Dolan's sermon from yesterday. It was an incredible moment for me. Listen, I've been in church longer than I can remember. Honestly, some of you understand what I'm saying. Before I was born, I was going to church. All my life I've been in church. I have been doing church. That is helping, serving, doing ministry for a long time. I just retired from the same church. And I've been there almost 40 years. I have spent my life in a church. And listen, like Dolan, I've been doing marriage a long time. This summer, for sure, and I will be 49 years. I I would not tell you that I thought I knew everything about marriage and family and church. But in that moment, Dolan reminded me there was so much, so much that I still needed to know. His insight into God's word that moment, his insight into the family and home and marriage was incredible for me. I had this most incredible worship time that day. As I drove. And I would tell you, if you were not here, please go back and find that and listen to it. If you were here, go back and listen again. It's an incredible moment. But all of this about wives learning about submission, husbands loving their wives, the two becoming one, all of that can be seen, I think, and experienced as we live out the fruit of the Spirit in our homes, in our families, in our marriages, in our relationships. You remember that short list that's laid out in Galatians chapter 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I would tell you that most of what I know about love and marriage, other than what I've learned through the scripture, uh, was modeled for me by my father as I observed him. As he lived out the fruit of the spirit. As a kid, even an older kid. I didn't know what the fruit of the spirit was, but looking back, that's what he was doing without ever preaching to me. He was living out the fruit of the spirit. The thought about love. I saw a man who loved his wife and his children. He provided for them and gave security for them all the days of his life. His joy was evident throughout his life, even after the death of young siblings in his childhood, the death of his mother when he was a child. Later in life, losing his brother and two of his sisters and his father, he never wavered in his faith. He never wavered in his joy. There's peace in our home. My brother and I, bless his heart, my brother and I both pushed our parents to the limits. And at times, the punishment was harsh and discipline was stern. But peace, God's peace was always there. It was always part of the equation, always present in our home. Patience. I'm sure I told my children this when they were younger, and they probably just listened with skepticism if they listened at all. But my father was the most patient person I've ever known. Now, I tell my children that my father had good children to bring up, and he just had no problems being patient. We were so good. But that wasn't true. That wasn't true. But the truth is, I never heard my father raise his voice, not at me, not at anyone. He was so patient. Modern versions of the scripture sometimes refer to the Good Samaritan as the kind man. My father was the ultimate kind man to us, to our mother, to anyone in need. And when serving as a soldier in Korea, his heart was moved with compassion toward the many, many children in the area who were constantly hungry and alone, many of them already orphans. He would make his way through the mess tent each evening collecting extra candy bars, chewing gum, treats from his fellow soldiers. Then he would stand just outside the mess tent as the children began lining up. They stood in line hoping That his helmet would still have treats in it when it was their turn to pass by. It may be the only thing they had that day. They didn't know his name. They knew he was one of the good guys. Faithfulness. There's never a question where we would be on Sundays. What is the deal? The modern church with parents who do not insist that their children attend church. Parents, we are failing each other. We're failing our children and failing the church and even God himself when we do not teach our children about church and about faithfulness and about God Almighty. Gentleness. I think that gentleness is most impressive when contrasted with a person's strength. My daddy was a physically strong man, probably from his years of working on a farm as a kid. Along with his years in the military and then with a physically demanding job as a millwright. He was physically strong and yet the most gentle of men. He probably, no not probably, he is the only person I've ever known personally that I've seen do one hand push-ups. Now for us non-Marines, you put one hand behind your back, put your other hand out and you go down and you start putting push-ups. He would even make it more interesting because he'd put kitchen matches between his fingers and he'd go down and pick them up one by one his teeth I tried it I fell flat on my face on the floor He's a strong man and yet an incredibly gentle man and what ties all that together with the fruit of the spirit in his life and others he was a man of self control uh, he was quiet when others are losing their temper to be soft spoken When others are shouting to be kind and gentle when others are acting out of anger and frustration, he was always a man of self-control. And I would say that all of these nine simple yet powerful traits are only possible when living in and through God's grace. We learn about his grace from an old hymn we sang a portion of this morning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind but now i see newer writers had the same idea who breaks the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of kings the king above all kings then that verse in that song this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you should take my place that you should bear my cross you lay down your life that i would be set free jesus Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Listening, learning from old songs, new songs, keeping your whole being in God's word. We should be able to learn, continue to learn about God's grace. And as we have experienced his grace, and if you're here this morning and you are a believer in Christ, you have experienced that grace. And we should, in turn, be willing to share it with others. One, one story that I'm done. <clears throat> I first heard this as though it was a true story. <clears throat> if you know that it's nothing more than legend, please don't tell me. You just ruined a good story for me. I just love this story. His name was John Blanchard. He stood up from the bench where he'd been sitting, straight in his uniform, and he studied the crowd of people making their way through that massive place called Grand Central Station. He looked for the girl whose heart he knew, but whose face he did not know. She was to be the girl with the rose on her lapel. His interest in her had started months before in a Florida bookstore. He took a book off the shelf and he found himself intrigued, not with the words of the book, but with the notes penciled in the margin. The soft and delicate handwriting reflected a thoughtful soul and insightful mind. In the front of the book, he discovered the previous owner's name, Miss Holly Maynell. With time and effort, he actually located her address. She lived in New York City, and he hoped to meet her, but his orders to ship out to Europe in the days of World War II came too soon for him. During his time away, however, uh, the two grew to know each other through the mail. Each letter was a seed falling on a fertile heart. A romance was budding, a distance romance, but nonetheless a romance. John requested a photograph. Holly always refused. She felt that if he really cared, it would not matter what she looked like. The day finally came for him to return from Europe. They scheduled their very first meeting, 7 p.m., Grand Central Station. She said, you'll recognize me by the red rose I'll be wearing on my lapel. So at 7 o'clock, he was in the station looking for a girl whose heart he loved, whose face he had never seen. A young woman was coming toward him, her figure long and slim, her blonde hair lay back in curls from her delicate ears. Her eyes were blue as flowers. Her lips and chin had a gentle firmness, and in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. He started toward her, forgetting to notice she did not have a rose on her jacket. As, she, as he moved... He heard this small, almost provocative voice come from that lady. Going my way, soldier. Almost uncontrollably, he made one more step toward her. And then he saw Holly. Holly was standing behind that beautiful young lady. Holly was well past 50. We would call her middle age. She had graying hair tucked under a well-worn hat. And while she was not obese, she certainly was pleasantly plump. The girl... In the green suit was quickly walking away. John Blanchard felt as though he was being split in two. So deep was his desire to follow that beautiful lady, yet so deep was his longing for the woman whose spirit had truly been his companion and his encouragement while in the service. Her pale, plump face was gentle and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm and kindly twinkle. He did not hesitate. His fingers gripped a small, worn copy of the book that was to identify himself to her. This would not be love, he thought, but it could be something even better than love, a friendship for which he had been and must ever be grateful. He squared his his shoulders, he saluted and held out the book to the woman, even though as he was speaking, he felt choked with deep disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Holly. I'm so glad to meet you. May I take you to dinner? The woman's face broadened into a beautiful smile. I don't know what this is all about, son, but that lady in the green suit begged me to put this flower on my coat. And she said, If you're to ask me out to dinner, she's waiting for you in the cafe across the street. She said it was some kind of test. Can I tell you, it is not difficult to understand and admire the wisdom. Of Holly For you see, beauty and love and attraction and acceptance and forgiveness along with God's grace go so far beyond the physical. All of those traits, all of those qualities we know as the fruit of the spirit along with the grace that God gives us. Those are the small parts that make up our lives. They make up our marriages. And they are what will make our lives and our marriages an enduring legacy for our children, for our extended family, and also for the church. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this moment, for these people, and for this opportunity. You be with us as we continue to worship Christ's name.
1: Don't go anywhere, brother. Um, I think I speak on behalf of everyone in this room. Um, I don't know there could have been a more perfect ending to our marriage miniseries feel like you simultaneously slapped me and hugged me (laughs) and probably speak on behalf of everyone in this room. Um, Thank you for pointing us to Christ. The complex part of that passage is really not what does submission mean. The complex part is how on earth do I love my spouse with that type of grace? Because if if we love one another like Christ loved the church, yes, yes. there's not a relationship in this room that'll ever split. <clears throat> Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I only got a couple of questions, super clear, um, and, and so I've jotted them down here. Um, uh, so the first question was, "Can you come be our pastor?" <laughs> so, and that was from me. <laughs> so uh, no. I, so I, I think this is a good question. Um, and and Miss Sherry, I, I don't know if you're comfortable answering this as well. Would you be comfortable doing that as well? You, uh, sorry to throw you on the spot. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, welcome, Miss Sherry. Yeah, as well. <laughs> And, and the reason I, I want you, you both is because I want you both to answer this question from the differing perspectives. Because the question is just spouse. So um, so, so whoever wants to go first, how do you love your spouse as Christ loved the church practically? And, and understanding this person understood the fruits of the Spirit. Um, but But practically, how do you love the husband... Like Christ loved the church? How do you love the wife like Christ loved practically? Any any tidbits on that?
0: I'm such a gentleman. I'm going to let my wife go first. <laughs> I wouldn't expect anything less.
2: <laughs> well, practically, um, I see that he looks out for my interests. Um, he's always concerned about my thoughts about things. Um, he doesn't rule with an iron fist, you know. Um, I want to do the right thing and submit to him because I know that he's going to do whatever is best for me. And and we don't get it right all the time. Goodness, we don't. But with the Lord's help, um, it becomes a matter of prayer for me, as I have my quiet time daily, to be the wife that I should be, you know. Um, so I work on it constantly, and we've been married... What, almost 49 years? But it's a journey. It's a journey. Um, And I just, um, I try to do um, things that will make him comfortable, things that I know he likes. Um, We just work together uh, to make it work. And like I said, it's not perfect, but it surely is good. The Lord has been good. I often use the verse from Psalms that says, um, our, our lives have landed in pleasant places um the lord has been good and that's the main thing it's the lord he when we look to him he gives us what we need and it's from him for sure
0: thank you Ms. here serving practically sometimes it's the small things Uh, the rule at our house is whoever gets up first makes the coffee it hasn't always been that way, but I, I am retired. I retired just about a year ago from my church. And that, can I, one side note, we love being here. I love the spontaneity in your worship, the freshness, the energy. It, uh, I love my church. Nobody other than my family and Melanie would know this, but listen, my church was founded four years after the state of Alabama came into existence, 1823. We have handwritten records. Of a church way out farther in the county. says we authorized the pastor to baptize the new believers at Limestone Creek following the meeting last week. Those folks started a church at Limestone Creek in 1823 and later moved to town to become the first Baptist church. It is still the first Baptist church in that little town. So we love coming here. I love church. I love God's people. But serving practically, back to the coffee. Uh most of the time she does get up first and she makes her coffee she likes her coffee strong and hot she makes her a cup in her Keurig maker and because I don't like mine nearly as hot or nearly as strong she gives me a second dip of her first Keurig cup she doesn't give me a fresh one she gives me a second that's
2: really gross if you love coffee but that's what he likes
0: (laughs) So, (laughs) I think it's awesome Uh, I think we've got a split room. That's right. So if I get up first, uh, I still make my coffee in an old worn-out Mr. Coffee, about eight cups. It's weak, but I can drink it. And I make her her best coffee in that Curie cup and put half and half cream in it and take her to it. Sometimes, for me, the practical service, instead of going to play golf with my old guys, she may say, Bubba, could we work in the yard today? And we work in the yard that day are, she's so easy to please. Sometimes it's serving by, it's like, Sugar, I, I know you're not going to want to go out to eat tonight. Can we go get a cup of coffee somewhere? We don't have a whole lot in our little town. We do have a coffee shop right now. They also sell ice cream. So on rare occasion, I think you girls have been there before, at Cole's Ice Cream Place. So, Troy, sometimes it really is the, the, the small things. And, and sometimes it's not serving her or her serving me. It's serving together, uh, Uh, one of the ways she served through the years was praying for me and our children. I've often told the story. If our children got up early in years past when they were little boys, they knew where they would find their mother. She would be in the favorite green chair in the TV room because that's where she started her day every day, praying and reading. So that's part of the service there. Uh, One more question. Golly, I mean, I feel like we should have just asked you
1: nothing but questions. Um, So... How do you, and and I think I understand this question because I understand my own heart. How do you cultivate peace? Again, understanding, your point was crystal clear out of the text. We we model the fruits of the Spirit. We'll cultivate peace. Um, But how do you cultivate peace? And and I get this because you, I mean, God has obviously given you this gift of humility, gentleness, and, and, and peace. There are some other people in the room who may not have that who have the gift of cynicism, stirring up strife. Uh, what else do I have <laughs> uh, So, So how do you... The question simply is how do you cultivate peace? But I, I feel like, I think maybe that's where the person is coming from, of what practically goes through your mind in, in moments of strife that can bring
0: peace? Well, uh, for me, uh, I was a middle child... Uh, And wherever you are in the birth order in your family, there are unique spots for each of you. I was a middle child. I don't know that I ever thought about being my responsibility to be the peacemaker, but now it really was. My older brother, uh, he gave my parents fits and grief. I can say that he's dead. Bless his heart. My sister, on the other hand, is 10 years younger than me. She was the perfect child. She never did anything wrong, never said anything, never had to be told when to get up, never had to be told when to go to bed, never had to be told. I mean, she was a valedictorian. So I just felt like I was the only normal one in the group. And so I was the peacemaker. And then uh, ministers and the elders in this room will understand this. I've never served as a pastor, as the head pastor, as the head teaching pastor, as Troy referred to himself a moment ago. I've always been in that role of submission to pastors in my church. And I always thought, you know, if there's something that I can't handle here, I'm not going to stay and cause trouble for my pastor. I will leave and go somewhere else. God has always allowed me that moment of acceptance in whomever I was working with, whereas the pastor or those senior adults like my friend Carl Lazenby or children are the old people in my church who just thought I was the grandest thing in the world. God has allowed me to live out from the time I was a child to be that person who would try to bring, bring peace. It may have been also been for, uh, fostered when I was about 16. A kid smarted off to me in the band, run, band room one day. Well, I, stuff. I reached over and kind of pushed him as I walked by. He stood up. He hit me so hard in the face. I looked down. I had blood running down my shirt. <clears throat> I became a real peacemaker after that. <laughs> I, was stuck. I will never fight again. I never raise my fist at anybody. So peace is a growth thing, Pastor. Okay.
1: That's right. Yeah.
2: Well, I wasn't the middle child. I was the oldest. <laughs> and so that, that's kind of a good combination because he really is very even. I tend to get really upset about things and he can you know um, show me the other side he calms me down um, uh, so I think we, we work together well you know the Lord has enabled us to just you know even each other out which is kind of a nice thing that's why opposites kind of attract I think because you, you do he has strengths and then I have strengths but
1: so finding those and those together. you have to find
2: you, and of course we've had a long time to work on this <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, once again, church, thank these guys. Thank you. Yeah, so much. Yeah. And and um, I'll, I'll step off after this. Miss Sherry texted me during the during the service and said, um, "Make sure you tell your church that their chances of their relationship everlasting are slim to none if they don't show up at two thirty and help move the office location." <laughs> Y'all stand.